aren't disappointed. We're all disappointed. I just, but I'll probably watch anyway. Oh, hi, it's Pete Pomisano, and welcome to another edition of RLTP's Off-Road. We have another great one for you this week. Mr. Steve Seashan is going to be with me. And that's a name you've probably heard hundreds of times. He's been around since he was a kid, practically. He's been in the public eye and in the public airwaves since he was 15 years old, basically. And uh, he's a really well-known name in the writing community as well as the blogging community. Uh, He has a blog called Buffalo Stories that you'll hear more about later on. But he's a really interesting guy, and I just found him to be exactly the kind of interview I was looking for for this podcast. Anyway, Steve Seashan is here along with one of my favorite people, Kristen Tripp Kelly is going to be up first. And Kristen is going to tell us about her favorite takeout places. Her favorite takeout places right in her own neighborhood. And she is obviously in love with many of the dishes that they have. So uh, maybe we'll start off with Kristen. And maybe I'll throw in one of my own a little later on. So here's Kristen Tripp Kelly to tell you about her favorite takeout places. What restaurants would you like to talk about? I want to talk about a few. That's great. Talk about as many as you like. There's a theme. There's definitely a running theme of (laughs) comfort food because that is what we we have needed ever since the shutdown. Comfort food. Well, go ahead. Hit me with it. The first place is our local, our neighborhood tavern down street called Parkside Meadow. Oh, the old PM. Yeah, the old PM. Exactly. It's it's gone through so many incarnations and nothing is really stuck. And so we're so thrilled that a couple of Parkside residents have finally seemed to make this work for the neighborhood. That's you know, nice. it's it's like our spot. We dreamed of a place we could just walk to. And it's got classic Buffalo fare. You can get your Reuben, your beef on whack. And we go there for our fish fry, for our beer battered Buffalo fish fry. Oh man, it's that's, a good one. that really sounds good. I love beer battered fish fries. Are they doing in-house now or is this all t- still takeout you're talking about? I'm pretty sure they're still just doing takeout. We good. haven't had a sit-down meal there since the summer. But how amazing is it that I can walk down the street and um, walk away with a buffalo fish fry? That is is great. (laughs) It's been cool. Especially since fish fries don't, they don't keep well. You know, you got to get them and get to your house and eat it right away before it gets (laughs) soggy and mushy, right? Yeah, they can go soggy fast. So the more convenient it is, the better. But, you know... We love to sit down in that restaurant because it's been so lovingly restored and it's covered in Buffalo ephemera, sports memorabilia, music memorabilia, things from factories that no longer exist here, our department stores that no longer exist. It's like a Buffalo museum. 
Wow. So when you can go inside, I highly recommend it. Are there any rules in, in terms of, are they open or closed on certain days that you know of? Is there anything like you say, make sure you ask for this or what, what their hours are? Anything special we need to know? I'm pretty certain that they're open throughout the week through Saturday. I think Sunday is their dark day. Okay, that's good to know. I, I hope that's correct, but... I get all of my information on their Facebook page. Great. <laughs> and they let us know about weekly specials. So yeah. that's where I would go okay. to make sure. That's one down. <laughs> yeah, that's one down. What's okay. your next one? And another wreck would be Shango Bistro in the University Heights area. I'm not I'm not familiar with them at all. That's New Orleans themed. Ooh. Yeah, it's terrific. They have a wonderful brunch in non-pandemic times. They have mm -hmm. a beautiful <laughs> sit-down brunch. Uh, but we've been using them for dinner takeout. And we just really go for it. We get the gumbo, the cornbread, the hush puppies. We get the beignets for dessert. I usually go for a fish dish here too. Like mm -hmm. I'll get a beautifully seasoned salmon or sometimes a Creole meatloaf. <laughs> it's a beautifully prepared meatloaf with a piece of andouille sausage in the middle. Oh, yeah. I've been looking for a good gumbo. I don't know of a good place in Buffalo to get a good Louisiana style gumbo. So this is a recommendation from you? Yeah, I love their gumbo. We usually get like the king size so we can have it the next day as oh, well. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> whenever, whenever I get takeout, I always get enough meals for three days. Yeah. Now, how about that place? Anything we need to know about that place, about Shango? That, that, first of all, where is it? It's in the university area. Yeah, it's University Heights right on Main Street. Mm-hmm. So it's not too far from the old Amy's place, if oh, you know where that is. Yes, the dearly departed Amy's place, right? Yeah. yeah. Though I hear that's coming back. Thank oh, goodness. That is, you know, that that's a Buffalo good. institution. I hear it's coming back under a new owner. So I'm happy about that. So, uh, Shango, anything else about there you want to endorse any particular... Well, we've already talked about the gumbo. Anything else? Any other foods that you particularly love or desserts or how about a price range is it a, is it a decently like mid-range i would say or... moderate you know moderate. i tried to pick out my pub fair kind of peasant fair <laughs> go-to <laughs> and then this is moderately priced and my cool. last wreck is when we're feeling a little bit fancy all right let's move on to a little bit fancy then so my last choice my final wreck would be Coco on Main Street, just a couple of blocks up from the theater district. Okay. And that is a French-inspired cuisine. So when you say up, you mean uptown, away from the theater district, not, yes. toward, not toward the uh, Seneca Tower. Yeah, exactly. Away from downtown. French cuisine, contemporary French cuisine. And I love this dish called grandmother's chicken. I won't like torture you with my French pronunciation <laughs> of this dish, but the translation, grandmother's chicken, it's a braised piece of chicken with lovely vegetables, 
And again, it's about comfort for me. That sounds really good. Now you're telling me that that's a little, just a, another notch up from uh, moderate. Yeah, I mean, if we're trying to celebrate during these pandemic times, we'll go for cocoa, but it does not break your bank by any stretch. What about, uh, uh, they're probably not doing dining in either, but you've you've dined in there? Yeah, and it's beautiful atmosphere. You know, again, French inspired. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love the artwork. I love the lighting. It's really charming in person. It's got the whole package. And that's the nice thing about takeout right now. It kind of reminds you of what it was when you were able to sit down. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when yeah. you eat the food, you can use your sense memory to get back to those places you love. Oh, that's a lovely thought. Yeah. Anything else about there that we need to know? Are they closed Sundays or Mondays, or do you know anything off the top of your head? You know what? They. I will just point out that they are open Sunday nights. There aren't that many places in town that do mm -hmm. takeout Sunday evening, and they do. Oh, well, that's, that's also very good to know. And I would recommend, in addition to the chicken, trout. Ooh. You can get a full trout with the head on, if you're yep. brave enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Well, it's something for the cats to play with. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're always thinking of the pets. Not, nice. Yes. Bring it home. Yes. Here, you go, here you go, kids. Have fun with this. <laughs> Listen, dear, I won't keep you any longer. Thank you so much for your recommendations. They were all delicious sounding. <laughs> And uh, stay safe and uh, all my love. And I hope to uh, see you soon. It's always great to talk to you. Take care, honey. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. There you go. More great takeout places. And, you know, I understand that restaurants are opening up a little bit now, a very little bit. They're still down to, what, 50% capacity or whatever. So I'm sure they're all still struggling. So, again... I would like to remind you to get some takeout from your favorite restaurants, help keep them alive. Remember to add a little extra for a tip, just as if you were sitting there being waited on, because they still need all the cash they can get to make it through the rest of this pandemic. And let me throw one more iron into the fire here. There is a restaurant, there is a small takeout place in the village of Hamburg that's run by two ex-teacher friends of mine, are they ex-teachers or are they ex-friends? Actually, they're both still teaching, so they're ex-colleagues, still friends of mine. It's called Master's Barbecue. Unbelievable barbecue if you're in the Hamburg area. I won't go on and on about it because I know you're not all in the Hamburg area. And this is right downtown, right in the village of Hamburg, right on Buffalo Street, right next to the movie theater, the Hamburg Palace. If you get a chance to get some of their barbecue... I'm telling you, you've never had better barbecue anywhere. And they've got all sorts of varieties of things and, and side dishes. It's a great, great place for takeout. Try Master's Barbecue. Okay, that's enough. All these are unpaid commercials, and I think that they're deserving of it. So let's hurry along with our mystery guest, our surprise guest this week. Our surprise guest is Pamela Rose Mangus. What a personality. I love this woman. I've loved her for so many years. We've performed together. We've, we've had drinks together. We've had chicken wings together. And what a voice. Oh, 
a terrific actor and a terrific singer. Pamela Rose Mangus here on Off Road. And then talking about this whole subgenre that we that we have now of women playing men in the two Shakespeare roles that you had and so on. So go ahead, let's talk let's talk about a favorite role and start with John Adams in 1776. Well, you know, um, I had already done a production of 1776 in my youth. Uh, I had played Abigail Adams, and it was always one of my favorite. And I did it in 1976, so it was the bicentennial. Yes. So it, it, it had great uh, meaning for me, and I always loved uh, the strength and the, I guess, integrity that the role of John Adams shows. Mm-hmm. And... Back then, I, I don't know that I was looking to play the role, but as my career developed over the years, you know, I'm looking for more and more challenging things to portray, something different. And you realize as a woman that a lot of roles, a lot of the good roles are male roles, especially in Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. But elsewhere. And we once did a show with O'Connell Company where it was all songs that men had been able to sing, that they were truly meant for men, but we got a chance to sing those roles. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I think that's where the fire started for Mm -hmm. me. I sang um, a big solo from the musical Shenandoah, the father in Shenandoah. And I thought, wow, what a great role to play. And then I found out, well, O'Connell Company found out that we were allowed to do a production of 1776 that was all female. And we jumped on it. Had you pursued it? Had you and Mary Kate been sitting back saying, we should look into this, and you specifically looked to see if that was available? As a matter of fact, we did. It was a few years before we actually did the production. We started, to- we were toying with, you know, options for upcoming season, and we did talk about it. And I had even mentioned it to some of my actor, female actors friends, and they were going, let me know if you ever do that, you know? (laughs) And it wasn't until a few years later, we got online and found out that yes, they are even encouraging people to do all female shows. We were not the first company to do an all female version, but we're one of the few. And had the playwright, the book writer, did they have to make changes in it at all in order for it to be in the catalog as a female version? No. To the best of my knowledge, there were no changes to the... All they had to do was agree that it was allowable to do it that way and even encouraged. That is so cool. Yes. And uh, all the music was in the original keys. You know, so there was a little transposing here and there. Well, that was my um, next question. Yeah. Wouldn't they have to change for voices? But you just answered it. Yeah, and, and I have a pretty low voice, so it worked for a number of songs. But my one big solo at the end, we changed it a little bit to give it a bit more dynamic mm-hmm. tonality. But we didn't change a lot. And I was doing something, so I never saw it, but I did. F- I know. Our shows ran the exact same times. But you but you won the award that year, right? We were nominated for a couple of different awards mm-hmm. and um, the show won Outstanding Ensemble of a Musical, which was the one that all of the women in the show really was hoping for. Yes. Because the camaraderie and the support and the, I just can't tell you, you would think getting, you know, 20 women together in a couple of small dressing rooms, you know, <laughs> would be a disaster. It was so empowering and so wonderful. We were absolutely thrilled. Which leads us to our other, speaking of camaraderie, for all of us, it started with Macbeth, with the uh, all-female version of that. It was one of my first 
male roles. I played King Duncan in that, mm -hmm. a small role in the beginning. And I would always get this great feedback, uh, as you said, that people just forgot about it. Yes. And it was the first all-female show is Shakespeare in Delaware Park. Yes, yes. And then along comes Falstaff. <laughs> I've had people say, Pam, was that on your bucket list? Like, Hell no. No, how could I it had, be? I mean, I never even thought about it. And Eileen was getting the opportunity to direct another all-female show. And of course, I'm the right age and type of person, you know, to play a role like Falstaff, yeah. especially in a comedy. I've done a lot of comedies over the years, as you well know. I do know. And I said, oh, I'd love to. Yeah. And so, you know, audition and I got the role. And after the first read through, I came home and I almost cried. I went, what did I get myself into? <laughs> it was a very physical role. Very it physical was. role, and you had some hip and you know some issues. Yeah, I was still in pretty good shape at that point. Right. My hips weren't so bad, but I did I did have ice bags backstage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was up and down thirteen stairs, and and chasing and going through the drop uh, drop through a basket underneath the stage. Yeah, and yeah I, I was actually very very proud that I was able to pull that off uh, physically and hopefully uh, oh it was it was great and so funny what well, is the one last follow-up question then I'll let you go so being in a cast of all women you you just mentioned a few seconds ago that you know people think that well, you know it's real a dressing room full of women it's going to be all catty and blah 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 what would you say was your takeaway from from all three of these experiences of being there to share it with this sisterhood that you end up being in. I have to say that I've never felt such, um, I'll use the term camaraderie again, and true support, no matter what role you were in. Mm -hmm. Everyone was always helping each other backstage, in the dressing room, anything we could do for each other. We, People were going out of their way. Even when they had to focus on getting on stage, it was amazing that connectivity, everyone wanted to help everyone else do the best job possible. The absence of men, did it give you the freedom to be more yourselves? I don't know how to put it. I don't think so. I don't think that it had any, um, anything to do with it. I never, I, we never talked about it from that perspective. We never thought about it. But let me add that 1776, my most recent male role, was directed by a man. What a great, great leader Steve Vaughn was. I'm sure. Um, I, I can't tell you. And perhaps having that man around, there was an eye to make sure that you know, perhaps John Adams wasn't being too feminine or something. Mm -hmm. We never discussed stuff like that. But I, I think in the back of my head, it gave me a little confidence that if I was doing anything that didn't seem like a man, that he would let me know. And he'd be, you know, he's got a great eye, uh, great leader. All right, honey, listen, it was great talking to you. Thank you so much for doing this. Right, and I hope, to, I hope to see you again real soon. All the best. Oh, Pammy, one of the all-time greats. And now, without further ado, let's move on to a man who has really affected my life. And I say that because I have this tremendous interest in Buffalo, and hisbuffalostories.com is a blog that you should know about. Here's Mr. Steve Sishan here on Off-Road. Steve Cishan, welcome to Off-Road. This is one of those deals where I've been trying to get my interviews down to, uh, you know, a reasonable amount of time. 
I feel like I'd, I could talk to you for hours. I've seen your name so many times, hundreds of articles in the Buffalo News, but you have so many things that I want to talk about that I don't know if I can keep this down to 45 minutes. There's just so much to talk about. And of course, the first time I heard your name was when Van Miller was yelling it out at the end of every yeah, Bills sure. game. And I just want to thank right. Steve Seishan. <laughs> it was always you and and, and Dr. Dr. So Edgasevich, who was his stance man. Dr. Edgasevich doing the spotting. And Special thank you to John the Pearl de Merle, Steve Seishan, Randy the Bear Bushover, Monica Huxley, <laughs> who I later married, by the way, it is now Monica Seishan. And uh, a famous name that not everybody uh, knew his story outside of just Van Miller saying his name every week, but Carmen the Rocket Cavorsi used to make his spotting charts. So, you know, it would have the, you know, where the receivers are and sure. that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't his an important job. Carmen the Rocket Cavorsi's important job was Van's Barber. So Van's Barber made his uh, his, his spotting charts and what got to mention every week. And of course, those were the days when the games right. weren't always on TV. So I listened every week. And even when they did start to be on TV, you will always simulcast them with the TV and you always had Van on in the background. I mean, I'm a theater guy. I've been doing this podcast for just mm -hmm. like a year now. And I've gotten into really trying to support as many Buffalo things as I can, because I'm just a huge Buffalo booster, but nothing like, like you and your friends with my buddy, Dave Lundy. Uh, sure. And I thought, what, how come I've never met Steve Seashot? <laughs> you grew up in South Buffalo. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, I, uh, seven addresses by sixth grade. So, I mean, <laughs> but that's, but that's part of the story. We had lived in, you know, we moved around a little bit. So then you moved, you were out in Orchard Park and you went to Orchard Park high school and, uh, right. And from there, and now you're back in North Buffalo, and you're very involved in the Parkside area, and you, uh, you're you're co-owner, manager of the of the Jam Coffee Shop right there yeah. on the corner of Parkside and Russell, which I don't get a chance to go by very often. But uh, what a beautiful area! You know, back in my day when I went to Canisius College, the PM, the PM, sure, the PM, the Parkside, spent some the, time on that bar floor, did you? The Park Meadow. <laughs> <laughs> well. Anyway, so then, then you've been a college professor and you did, you know, you've produced documentaries for PBS. There's just so many things. So first of all, let's talk about your upbringing in South Buffalo. Sure. Because there's got to be a place where this wellspring of Buffalo love has, has come from. Uh, yeah. My daughter's the same age, as I said, she now lives in Atlanta, uh, loves Buffalo, but couldn't care less if she ever comes back, except to maybe to see me. Huge Bills fan, of course, but sure. that's another story. How did you in South Buffalo become such a, a Buffalo booster? Well, all four of my great-grandparents were born in, and grew up in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. All eight of my great-grandparents lived here. And either moved here from somewhere else, you know, from from Poland or from Ireland or somewhere, and they they all uh, descended upon Buffalo. Buffalo is very much a part of who I am. You know, my my first ancestors arrived here in uh, in 1828. The one line that we can trace back. My grandparents and my parents, we were from uh, you know big, huge South Buffalo families, you know, big Catholic families. Uh, so I have, I couldn't tell you how many aunts and uncles I have without counting. My dad was one of 11. My mom was one of seven, you know, add in, uh, you know, marriages and that sort of thing. First cousins, I, I don't know. But my grandparents and my parents were both very good storytellers. And they would tell me, you know, they would talk about the old days. And it really made me, it really brought these things to life for me. The way that my dad would tell stories about him being a little boy and they had nothing growing up. I mean, they were, they were in the, in the worst neighborhood, in the worst neighborhood in the city, you know, um, <laughs> they, they didn't have a lot, which I think makes 
the things that were important to him, just that much more important to him. The nice things that he had or the, the breaks that he got. And he was just amazing, uh, a storyteller. So, you know, that combined with uh, a lot of photos fr from my family that were, you know, I can tell you exactly where my grandparents kept their photo albums. And these things just, you know, they, they had a life of their own. And that that somehow engendered a, a an incredible love for the Buffalo history that... I wanted to understand what they were talking about. I, see. I, I thought it was, you know, whatever garbage I was in the midst of in the, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, Buffalo whatever they were describing sounded so much greater. It sounded mm -hmm. like so much more fun. And, you know, a lot of that was, you know, now as an, as an adult, as somebody who writes these kinds of things, a lot of that was nostalgia. But the way that they were able to describe this nostalgia to this little kid, things, you know, colors seemed so much brighter. Everything just seemed greater. And I, I thirsted to know about the things that, that they were talking about. And you, you find a niche when, when people appreciate the things that you're doing. People love to be loved. <laughs> and when I was able to put these pieces together and... Did it start that early or, or did you... Did you when, when you went to UB, were you in journalism or communications or English or how did all these things connect? I wish that I could have observed myself as a, as a young person. Mm -hmm. I really, more than anything, I always had a, I, I had a job from the time I was nine years old, you know, not a job that I showed up for every day, but I wanted to get a buck because that's what my dad and all these other people in my life, they hustled, you know, they hustled for a buck. So, you know, I worked in a used bookstore as a little kid. Uh, I picked potatoes in a field in Orchard Park. Taffy himself at Taffy's in Orchard Park taught me how to cut curly fries. So, you know, and I used to clean up the cigarette butts in the parking lot, anything that, you know, um, and uh, the summer that I was, uh, a lot of my friends were getting jobs and I wasn't going to turn 16 until the end of summer. My birthday's at the end of August. So I couldn't get a job over the summer and that sort of bummed me out. But my friend's dad and one of the stops along the way uh, had worked in radio and I used to go to work with him. So, you know, I really got to love radio. My friend had a, a pretend radio station in his basement, but made with real radio equipment. So mm -hmm. I sent a letter to every every radio station in Buffalo, found out the name of the program director or the station manager, every, you know, I sent out 25 letters. You're 15, you're 15 years I'm old at this 15 point. 15 years old. And I came up with this on my own. I, I'm not exactly <laughs> sure how or, or why. And uh, one person responded and it was Kevin Keenan at WBEN. WBEN. And, uh, and I got on the bus in Orchard Park, three transfers to get to uh, WBEN studios, which were wow. then on Elmwood. Yep. And <laughs> I don't know if they hired me because they were laughing. I'm wearing a bow tie. Uh, here's this 15-year-old kid who took three bus transfers to come in to, to want to work at a news talk radio station. Uh, but I did. And at the end of that summer, he hired me uh, part-time. And, and I worked, you know, a solid two decades, you know, in broadcasting and journalism. So by the time I got to college, I had this realization that at some point I might get burned out in the media. So I thought, you know what, I'd like to be an English teacher, something that I'm good at and I'd like to do. But here it is, I'm, I'm 43 and I'm an English teacher for the first time. This is my first year of teaching English. So I did eventually use that, which I, uh, I thought I might have to find Never too late. someday. Right. So, and I'm having fun doing this. So, But you happen to catch on with probably the, well, for news, WBEN was the news station. There was WKBW with the music sure. and WGR, but, yeah. but, but WBEN and WEBR for a to a lesser degree, sure. but WBEN was what I tuned to every day in the car. To be a 15-year-old, and and I don't know what it was about me, but a lot of these guys ended up taking me under their wing. Uh, I mean, Van Miller took me under his wing. There's no, I worked at, at WBEN for, for five years, and then I got a job at Channel 4 because Van Miller, and Dan, actually Van Miller and Don Paul. Don Paul used to come down the hall from Channel 4 and record his weather forecast. Sure. It was sure. my first job as an intern. My first real live radio job was to record Don Paul's weather forecast and then to transcribe it. So I would write 
type up the weather forecast. Mm -hmm. But getting to know these people who had been getting to know Stan Roberts, the first day of my internship to walk in and there's Stan Roberts, the guy who I grew up with putting the lampshade on his head on television, right? <laughs> um, the Stan and, Roberts show, I'll never forget it. And these guys were all, um, you know, they were heroes to me. Uh, they were people that I had looked up to the way that a lot of kids would look up to ball players or, you know, actors or musicians or whatever. I mean, these were my guys. There wasn't anybody who was more important and they were taking me under their wing, maybe not necessarily showing me directly how they operated, but I watched and I saw, and I spent five years sort of behind the scenes as a producer, learning the craft and watching and listening and God, that must've been fascinating. Another South Buffalo guy, Danny Neverth says the same thing that he learned just by taking little bits and pieces from everybody else and putting it into his shtick. And mm -hmm. that's what I did. I can tell you which part of me is from Mark Leitner and which part of me is from George Rickert, who I worked with at, at WBEN and then I worked at Channel 4 for years, and Bob Coop and Rich Newberg and Carol Jason and Jackie Walker and, and uh, Susan Rose. They all made a some kind of, and something that I would look at them and go, you know what, I think that can work for me. You know, luckily I had that opportunity and I, you know, was, was a, you know, a news guy at BEN for, for 10 years following that. So just, just a quick um, question, Steve, yes. did you, did your father, did your family have any background in broadcasting or journalism? no, no, not at all. No, there's just because of this, this kid yeah. who had a basement radio station. You thought, yeah, my friend's dad, the guy who lived down the street from me for three years, and lived in Massachusetts. Like mm -hmm. I said, I had seven addresses by the time I was in sixth grade. Yeah. My dad was one of those South Buffalo guys. Uh, he actually owned a bar and the bar serviced uh, Republic Steel and Buffalo Color. Wow. And both of those places closed within six months of one another. Yeah. So he went and we could get a job in Massachusetts and we lived there for a couple of years, which is where I met this guy who worked in radio. And, you know, when I got back here, I love for radio uh, continued. So, yeah. And just to, again, I, I can't imagine what it would have looked like to see some, I'm as tall, I was as tall as I am now, but you know, about 50 pounds less kid with a skinny, scrawny kid with a bow tie showing up and saying, I want to work in radio. It had to be uh, something to behold. Uh, you know, <laughs> be, being of that generation myself, I would have loved it. I would have yeah. loved it to see this kid come in. And this was not a paid internship or was it a little? No, uh, no, absolutely not. It was. Uh, you were there for the love of it and the for the fun it. of it. Yeah. You right. just, yeah. oh, of course, you were probably getting coffee for everybody. You were probably, and at the meet, and at the same time, they were showing you all the ropes. Yeah, just paying attention and learning the things that I was there to learn. And and I would have loved. I would have loved to have a. Per There's something yeah. about that person who's the sponge, who just sure. wants to soak it all up. That makes you want to. I understand completely why Van Miller would have been so enamored of you because here here's this guy who's just soaking up all this information, and I'm loaded with information. Van is thinking. Let me just tell you everything I know. Yeah, and uh, it was just an exciting time. You know, it really was. You know, to be that uh, to be that young guy who was uh, <laughs> again just sort of learning on the job and uh, and picking up what what uh, you know j just random little bits. And it's become part of who I am to pay that back. I mean, that's honestly that's one of the reasons why I'm a, I'm an English teacher right now. There's plenty of other things that I can be, but I want to be in this room. Uh, if I can give these guys some, you're passing it on, passing it on. That's, yep. that's really my, my reason for being here. I mean, English, whatever, let's talk about Shakespeare. Fine. That's a great thing. That's a great thing to have that knowledge. And that's where Buffalo stories. And before that staff announcer, which we'll get yep. to shortly, but that's where all that comes in too. You're, you're passing on this information that there are very few sources that are so readily available. I, I'm, I'm jumping way ahead. I'm jumping all over the place here because I really want to talk about that. But I, I also wanted to just ask you, how did you then graduate from, not from UB, but I mean, graduate from just intern to 
to to a producer to producing news programs and so on. I'm sure it was a as you said, it was five years or so that took you to do that. Well, I mean, it, it really, it was. I went at the end of the summer. I bought a uh, you know from all of my jobs. I had some. Uh, I'm sure my dad helped me out with, uh, but I bought for four hundred seventy five dollars a Volkswagen Beetle, uh, which was you know eighteen <laughs> years old. Per, again, you know, just within the same. Fr- so they my first car run. was a Volkswagen. Uh, bought a Volkswagen Beetle off of someone's front yard. And, uh, and that was my transportation. And mm-hmm. the moment that I had transportation and could get to the station, um, I was hired and I was, you know, producing, you know, running the tapes of shows on the weekends. And uh, part of one of the things that I learned as an intern, which is something that I really didn't know. I mean, I know I loved radio, but learning how to write was one of the most important things. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even necessarily the good writers who taught me how to write. It was the things that, that people would say to me when I messed up or something didn't look right. And, uh, you know, that editing process of, of Rick Maloney, who was a time and grad and is the, uh, I think, still the digital editor at Business First. I uh, worked with him at BEN for a long time. And the little things that he taught me sitting next to him were just amazing. You know, like it, it, it never you, you don't introduce a soundbite with the words that somebody is about to say. And if you're not sure, if you're in a rush and you don't know what's now, this isn't the way you should write. But if you don't know, the way you introduce the soundbite is the Bills head coach is Marv Levy. That way you know that you're never going to. But these little things were, yes. were the tricks. And you just keep on throwing those, those little, take those little pieces. And eventually the first time I was paid to write, I was 16 years old, um, you know, cutting up the Larry Felzer show for playback on the, on the morning show the next morning. And there's no greater thrill than setting your alarm clock. I used to set my alarm clock for 621 because that's when the Osgood file would come on in the morning and uh, <laughs> the Osgood file would come on and then Bill Lacey would have to fill a couple of minutes and to hear Bill Lacey reading a script that I had written five hours earlier instead of doing my English homework. But you know what? I was getting paid to do these things. And what a, what a great feeling. And, oh. you know, to be bitten by something like that and to hear him read it without changing any of the words, just leaving what was there. And what a confidence boost. What a um, treat. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and amazing, you know, and a you thrill. think back on those times. It's amazing how that started and how the, the, the uh, you know, the hooks get into you. And that's, <laughs> that's really what it was. And, and you know, five years ago, I became the, uh, eventually was the producer of Bill's football. And I, you know, I, I don't even know if I was old enough to drink yet. And I'm producing the Bill's games on the radio. Amazing. And producing the one-on-one sports shows and getting to know Larry Felzer and, uh, and Jim Kelly. Many of the, the sports writers are the, have been some of the greatest thinkers I've ever known. And I'll put Larry Felzer and Jim Kelly, the, the late sports writer from the news, yes, the, the, the hockey guy. Yeah. Right. Two of the most brilliant men, most giving men that I've ever met and, and people who I might not have realized at the time. Uh, and it makes me kind of sad that I didn't realize it at the time, but, but who set me up in the, in, in ways to, uh, to be a better writer and a better thinker and to just be a better human being. And that's aside from learning to write, learning to be a radio person. Uh, I mean, I really learned how to be a, 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 the person that I am working in those, uh, in those early days in, in radio. So did this in some way lead to your uh, writing for the Buffalo news and, you know, all of the many articles, hundreds, hundreds of articles I've seen your name on in the Buffalo news. Did that somehow connect to you know, yeah. your, your knowledge, the things with Larry Fausler and Jim Kelly and so on, Larry Fausler? Yeah. You know, I, I worked at um, John DeMerle, who was another, a guy who I haven't mentioned yet, who was a, another producer at WBEN, John Wasn't the Pearl it, DeMerle, famous. The, I was just going to say, uh, the right? Pearl DeMerle. John the sure. Pearl DeMerle. Uh, no one but Van Miller's allowed to call him that, so I hope he's not <laughs> listening because he'll come and hunt me down and slap me in the back of the head. Uh-huh. Um, but... Uh, 
he was a guy who showed me a lot of how to do his work, uh, you know, behind the scenes stuff. He's a, a brilliant writer and, and, a, and a great manager of people. And he uh, showed me how to do his job there. And then I learned how to do his job at Channel 4. Then he hired me at the Empire Sports Network. From there, I, I went and worked in radio news, which I hadn't done before. Uh, and after 10 years of radio news and then working my way up, and I was the news director at WBEN, I learned things were changing and, and the, the, the world of radio news and the world of radio uh, was changing. And, and I decided that the things that I appreciated most about my job in radio and all my experience in radio was I really liked to write. Writing was something that I could uh, uh, have a lot of fun with. And I really like to mentor people. I like to show people how to do my job and help them find their way. So I, when I left BEN, I wrote for Trending Buffalo website mm -hmm. for a little mm -hmm. while. Yes. And uh, a friend of mine who was my intern at the Empire Sports Network happened to be the digital editor now for the Buffalo News and said, why don't you come do that with us? And, uh, and that's how that started. He's now... I don't know. He's, he's some big boss at the news. He's got some nice office, but I'm continuing to do that. It's just amazing. Again, you're passing it on. You're passing it on. Yeah. You were taking an intern under your wing. You were passing on all the, the little tidbits of information, all the little hints that you had that were, were being passed on to the next, the next generation. I hate to even talk about the next generation with you because you're like a kid to me. We're well past that. Try you know, I'm working with uh, 15 and 16 year olds every day, so I'm uh, <laughs> well into old man territory. Well, Steve, when you left, when you left LUBEN, was it just that there was there were so many outside contributors coming in that weren't you know live in the studio? Everything was e either uh, a syndicated program or something like that. Yeah, you know, I would love to have been Ed Little, honestly. And if you rewind that, I would love to have been John DeMurrell. Mm -hmm. I would have been happy with being a, uh, a radio producer my whole life. I would have never left that. If, yeah. if, if I would have started in 1950, I would have retired with a gold watch from WBEN Incorporated, and I would have been a producer, the behind-the-scenes guy. I would have been Tom Whalen. Tom Whalen was uh, Clint Buhlman's engineer. I would have been very happy with that job. Yes. Uh, but that job sort of uh, evolved away from underneath me. I was a news guy, and I would have been happy to have uh, gotten my gold watch as a news guy. The evolution of, of what that was changed dramatically. And there was a time where, you know, more important than anything I put on the radio was tweeting. And that wasn't really what I signed up for. You know, I'm not about hot takes. I'm not a hot take guy. You know, I, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd, I'd prefer to be able to sit and think and come up with something intelligent rather than uh, using my big, fat, clumsy fingers on a keyboard and, and coming up with a hot take. An instant reaction to something yeah. to, to send it out to thousands of followers. And I'm not that smart. I can't, I can't get through that. Give me some time to think and maybe I'll come up with something intelligent to say. Yes, I've got a Twitter uh, account myself. I've used it six <laughs> times. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. If I could be a radio news guy in, in 1993, I'd still be there right now. Yeah. The whole landscape changed. That's, that's Everything has changed. Everything has changed. And, you know, and not small among that, you know, not a, not a small thing among that is, I mean, I never, I made no money in radio. You know, my first five raises in radio came when the minimum wage went up, you know? Yes. So, and it wasn't, it didn't get much better than that. So if I'm going to be uh, miserable and overworked, and when I became the news director and became a manager which I loved and I loved managing the news product and everything, but so much of this stuff became my responsibility and I was working 80 hours a week 
and not making a lot of money and not making it. So I just wasn't, you know, it wasn't what I signed up for. So I went and found something else to do. Now you're doing another job where you don't get paid very much. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, but this is a job for where you're inspiring people. And it's, as you said, you're, you're, right. you're passing the torch. You're just very quickly. I forgot to ask you. So when you sure. write for the Buffalo news, you're not on payroll there. You're just sort of a freelancer and yeah, I'm a freelancer. Do they say to you, uh, Steve, we need something for torn down Tuesday, or do you come up with things and, and offer them to them when you have the time or when you come across something? How does, how does that work? Are you commissioned by them or do you offer things? Once or twice a week, I, I, I write something. Uh, there's not a, there's no hard or fast schedule. It's just, you know, I work best, honestly, when I am inspired to write something. Yes. You know, I can look through the 1,600 articles that I've written for the news, and I can tell you which ones I kind of felt like I had a deadline for and which ones, you know, came from some source of inspiration Yes. very easily. So um, I, I try to leave it until I am inspired to be able to to um, put something out there. They're not hounding you. So every Wednesday we we have to have a, you know, what it looked like Wednesday or, or every Tuesday we have to have Torn Down Tuesday. It's not them coming after you. It's more when the inspiration strikes you. They tried to do that for a while and I'm just not, uh, <laughs> I think they would, I think there are people at the news who are listening right now who would love to have, you know, oh good, Steve's thing is going to come at 5.30 on Tuesday. But unfortunately it's not how my brain works. So uh, today, as a matter of fact, you posted something on Facebook today that was just so filled with all of these radio clips and, and uh, from the past and Van Miller and everybody. And there, there probably half a dozen different postings. And I thought, sure. when when did this guy have this guy teaches English? When did he have time to do this? And you've got the Buffalo stories. You've got there's a theme song for it and everything. There's people singing. <laughs> and I'm right. thinking and, and you have to edit. I mean, because I do this whole podcast myself. I edit sure. all this. I know the time that goes into it. So I'm thinking, yeah. how the hell did he do this? And I'm not even using pictures. I, right. you know, you're using, you're adding video to all the audio. So I don't know when you find the time. Clearly you don't sleep. Well, that, but this week's story is a great example. Um, yes. You know, I, I beat myself up last week for not getting that done. Uh, I but see. I didn't want to leave it half. I didn't want to leave it half done. I wanted to make sure that it was done properly. And it had to get out this week well, because of the championship game coming up. Well, I, believe me, when when I didn't finish it on Friday and I had other things come up, you know, mm. <laughs> these these pesky students need their uh, tests graded <laughs> and so forth. But when I didn't get it done on Friday, believe me, I was cheering for the Bills as hard as any of us. But <laughs> look, I've got a great story here that I want to be able to use. You guys better win. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> Yeah, sure. But that's part of looking at what stories I'm going to do. I mean, I have a folder that's just filled with, uh, you know, images are what drive the stories for the most part, because you need a good image. If you don't have a good image, then nobody reads it. You can write yes. the best the best thing in the world and nobody will click on it if it doesn't have a, a good image with it. So, you know, I've got folders and hard drives and, you know, my house is filled with not my, my poor wife, my long suffering, wonderful wife. Yes. But uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a passion. It's a lot of work, but it's inspired work and it's a passion of yours. It's a passion, you know, and, and it's, it's not about, making a buck and, and people are, you know, flabbergasted. Uh, and I almost hate to even mention that like I did in radio, but it's an important thing to realize that if you're going to do something where you don't make any money, you damn well better enjoy it. Yes. Um, and that's, <laughs> you know, 
literally everything that I'm involved in in life, <laughs> I damn well enjoy, and I don't make any money in it, so it's all it's all good. Well, you so damn well better enjoy it because, uh, <laughs> as I said, as I was going through the list of all of your accomplishments and all of your activities, everything from the coffee shop to running for county clerk, all of these things, I'm thinking, when when you know you should be 80 years old by now, just because you you've lived twice the amount of, of life in, in your 43 years, many people would be happy to say, well, I, I taught English for 32 years and I did theater on the side. That's pretty big accomplishment, but you've done. It's attention deficit disorder is basically <laughs> what it is. It's trying to, it's, it's a. Uh, uh, you can't stay focused on something. Is that what it is? And honestly, one of the things that I, that I've written a lot about is, is mental health. And, you know, being able to focus on things, reading the book, The Happiness Trap was a very, uh, was a very important uh, milestone of my life. And I try not to do this on my, I, I try to be real in social media. You know, I don't, I haven't crafted this uh, fake world Persona. where everything is happy. Yeah. I, I poke a lot of fun at myself, but mental health and mental illness is a, is a real thing. And, I, and, and, and part of, part of my overachieving mentality over the last uh, 30 years uh, just has a lot to do with with just trying to figure out uh, who I am and what I'm doing and what um, makes you happy. Yeah, and, and and you know, I think I'm closer to that now. There are many things that make you happy, which brings me to the. <laughs> I may cut out part of this as well, but I'm going to just tell you a quick story that sure. a couple of years ago, my daughter was doing. I was visiting her in Atlanta, and she was doing her Pinterest recipes, and I mm -hmm. said, "What is this Pinterest crap?" And she said, "Oh, you should do this." I said, what, what am I ever going to do with a Pinterest page? And I poo-pooed it, you know, but I signed on. And the next thing you know, I'm saying, all right, well, I'm going to, I'll have a Pinterest page for all of these shows that I'm going to be in coming up in the next year. I'll post the posters and just keep a record of them. And, and oh, you know what? I'm a big Beatles fan, so I'll, I'll post a lot of pictures of the Beatles and, and, and they won't be taking up room on my hard drive anymore. All of a sudden, I said, oh, you know what? I'm looking at the Buffalo News. I'm getting these things of Torn Down Tuesday and so on. And I'm seeing all these pictures. And I'm going, this is fascinating. I love these pictures. So now I create a thing called Buffalo Now and Then. Well, now I've got Buffalo Now and Then and under it, at least a dozen subcategories, everything from the odd to just street scenes to, well, just everything you can imagine. I have folder within folder within folder of every, and, and a whole separate one for Buffalo sports <laughs> and theaters and entertainment venues. And you'll never guess where I got most of those pictures. Every time I went to research some, something, this blog came up called Buffalo Stories. And this was after it had changed from when you started it. Was it 2004? You started uh, right, the, yep. as, as um, right. staff announcer. Staff announcer, yeah. You started yep. collecting all these photos. So now it's Buffalo Stories, and I'm looking at this, and it's almost too much to even go through. It is. Every time I, I start to wonder about, okay, another quick story. I was in the Three Musketeers at, at uh, 710 last year. And uh, yeah. I'm with all these young kids. And I'm saying to them, you know, you guys remember this is Studio Arena, but I, when I was in college, <laughs> I and a bunch of buddies came here to the Palace Burlesque. No, that can't be true. Right. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. <laughs> well, I went and found pictures, many of them on Buffalo Stories of the original Palace Burlesque. And there are only about four or five pictures you can find of construction of this. Right. And, but you can see yep. the arches, you can yep. see the facade of the building. And I brought them in on my phone and I said, look at this. For sure. And because and they, <laughs> they said, oh my God, you're right. 
this was the palace burlesque. I said, yes, for a, a few years in the 70s or whatever, Dewey Michaels, right. and, I, and I, I'm quoting all these things from your yeah. blog, which, by the way, won Best Blogger of 2018, very rightfully so. In my mind, it, it's, it's the best of all time. I, again, I can't believe the amount of time, the number of pictures, the, the amount of information that is available to anybody who wants to follow this Buffalo theme. And so... Okay, to, so to get back to it now, let's talk about the desire to create first staff announcer, which was a, a, the blog that preceded or was the direct... It was the blog before that. <laughs> you know, sometimes I have a way with words and other times just... <laughs> so where did that come from? It, it, was it because, as you said, you were collecting and collecting and collecting? And, I, and I'm, you strike me as a guy who has actual file folders, not just digital folders on your... MacBook or whatever you've got. Cause then I look at all the postcards that you've, where did he get all these postcards from 1918 before city hall was built and here's, and I'm looking at all these, was <laughs> right. it because you had all of these things and you said to yourself, or you said to your wife, I promise I'll clean all this up. I just have to find a place to put it. So you created this digital yeah. archive. Kind of, you know, the fascination with, with Buffalo images started with uh, there, there was a, Buffalo Magazine, which used to be included yes, in the Buffalo still News, is, yep. still is in, in some way. Month, it was a more robust thing uh, years ago. And in 1980, it was the 100th anniversary of the Buffalo News. And they did a retrospect of 100 years of the Buffalo News or something like that. And uh, several of the photos that you just referenced are actually in that that uh, thing. My grandmother gave me that, gave me a copy of that when I was, she was a great junk collector. <laughs> uh, she gave me a copy of that and said, you know what, this is something that my grandmother, my grandma Sishan did it, was one of the people who was really instrumental in getting my brain working in this direction. This is something that you would like. Here, you take this. And she did that for everybody. She had 11 kids and she knew which, you know, but, but he treated each one of them specially. Like you are interested in history. Yes. I'm going to give you this. You're interested. She couldn't give everybody everything, but made sure that people had what Amazing. they needed. So I had that for a long time. And, uh, you know, it, that was sort of my basis of knowledge. And I did collect things in old photos and magazines and newspaper articles and that sort of thing. Uh, 2003 comes along at uh, 2004. And at one point I went to Google and typed in Irv Weinstein's name and there was nothing about Irv Weinstein on the internet. Wow. You know, this is thinking about what the internet is now, um, mm -hmm. you know, less than 20 years later, there was nothing about Irv Weinstein. There was nothing about AMNAs. You couldn't find out anything. So I created a, a webpage mostly because I wanted to, to, to um, you know, staff announcer, a staff announcer was the, the guys in the radio who would come on and say, this is WBENFM Buffalo. <laughs> and that was it. And they'd get paid a million dollars to come in once an hour and, and announce <laughs> what the you know, 53 degrees in Buffalo. This is WBEN. Yes. That's that, so highlighting those guys. And I put up pictures of all my, my radio friends. There's a picture of Ed Little and there's a picture of Mark Leitner and there's a picture of all. And uh, so that's what staff announcer originally was, you know, filling the potholes on the information superhighway, which is a, a, a phrase that I stole from a friend who worked at WBEN, Jim Majors. But that's really what it was. I couldn't believe that Irv Weinstein needed to be uh, on the internet. And that's how Irv and I kind of became friends. Irv found that one day. I was like, I can't believe, buddy, that you're putting this on the internet. And Irv <laughs> Weinstein e emailed me. You know, this is great. I'm getting email from Irv Weinstein. I must be the most right. famous voice and figure in Buffalo newscast. Absolutely. And there's nothing on the, on the internet. Amazing. Yeah. So we, so I started putting things up there. 
and uh, and and that grew and, and kind of blew up. And uh, one of the one of the early things that really made an impact was at one time. Now I talk about my grandmother, junk collector, and she used to take us to the Salvation Army thrift store on Seneca Street in South Buffalo, and we'd go there a lot. And I would just go there, you know, randomly, occasionally, just walk through and really not buy a lot. Well, there was a box one day sitting there. This is sometime in the late '80s or early '90s. And it, they were 78 RPM records. I had no use for 78 RPM records at this point, but they were all wrapped up in whatever newspaper, you know, the person that took them out of the record collection and put them up in the attic when they started yes. buying 33s and 45s. Uh, and they were wrapped in uh, newspaper from December, 1954. And I'm like, how much can I buy this newspaper for? Like the newspaper, I'm like, yeah, I just want the box of newspaper. I'm like, I you can have it. So I walked out of the Salvation Army with uh, these 1954 newspapers and I had them for a while. And then when I got this website, I put these pictures up and it was the only place anywhere online where you could find images, uh, you know, mentions of burgers or, uh, you know, Roy Kearns on Channel 2 or all these things that were from 1954 that no longer existed in Buffalo. Flint and Kent and Sattler's and all these Sattler's, other things. The sample shop. Right. <laughs> My mother's favorite store. All these places that had been gone at this point, you know, not forever, but had still been gone for a while. Uh, and that, that blew up and, um, you know, that doing that encouraged um, uh, Forest Lawn Cemetery to ask me to come in and do a presentation on the great retailers of Buffalo. I didn't know anything about the great retailers of Buffalo, but I had all these pictures and that's, you know, so I learned and I put this thing together and that's what made me uh, begin to do uh, presentations out in the, out in the uh, community. And, uh, you know, all of these things just sort of avalanche into one another. And it's sort of good to have ADD because I, you know, if I, if I was focused, none of this stuff would have happened. Every story I'm telling you is somebody, you know, waved something, something shiny in my face. And I went, yeah, that looks like fun. Let's go do that. Yeah. And that's what it is. And, you know, I'm, I'm, Got a lot of irons in the fire with all these shiny things that people have shown me through the years. Uh, and I'm slowly pulling them out <laughs> to try and bring some sanity to my life. Uh, but they're all fun. It's all great. You know, shiny stuff is great. But the hours that have gone into this uh, Buffalo Stories and before that staff announcer blog, it's just overwhelming to me because, you know, last night I was doing some research on you. I had already done something, but was it? I can't remember what the reason was. Maybe something else came up on the, on the internet, and I said, "Oh, let's see what Steve's got on Buffalo stories about this." And then, of course, I start importing photo after photo after photo. Now I've got a whole I've got a whole separate uh, Pinterest page for Sattlers, <laughs> and I've got a whole separate for, for retail, and now I've got one for restaurants, and now I've got one for Swiss chalet, and it, it just <laughs> all of these individual things. It's a rabbit hole that I could have spent. And did spend the entire Sabres game last night. The Sabres <laughs> game was playing, and I was online going through Buffalo stories, finding all of these incredible photos and stories, and very cleverly written stories. Many of them, as you said, you, you can just tell that they're inspired stories. It, it's just not... <laughs> It's not just a recitation of Sattler's 998, blah, blah, blah. Well, but I mean, like, like with Sattler's, you know, when I, when I think of Sattler's, I think of the, the dozens of people who've told me quick little anecdotes. One person told me a, a, about how she, she was from a different part of town and they went to Sattler's once. And she just remembers the Polish ladies on the streetcar and like live chickens and gooses attacking her geese <laughs> gooses. Yes. Yeah. I'm an English teacher, uh, live <laughs> geese attacking her on, on the bus. But like, you know, she's from, it was like going to a foreign country. If you weren't Polish or you weren't expecting it and you're a little kid and you live on the West side and you're going to, to the deep of the heart of Polonia and you've got <laughs> ducks attacking you on the streetcar, but that's part of the, that's part of, you know, we remember nine, nine, eight Broadway. Yes. But what made that special, the, the little details are the things that, and, and, you know, 
30 years of collecting those little details. And they're the important thing to me. You know, some people remember baseball stats. Some people remember, uh, you know, I don't know what, what people remember. But for me, this is what, you know, Buffalo's pop culture history is what I remember. It's, it's what's important to me, you know. But you know what? I mean, this is a tremendous service that you've done. You probably don't look at it that way, but no one else is doing it that I know of, at least not in my Googling of things about Buffalo. No one else has had the, <laughs> the guts or the craziness to sit down and try to actually document all this and index it and write about it. It's, it's astonishing, and I cannot recommend it enough. And I, I'm, uh, again, I, this is the thing I really wanted to talk to you about because it's, it's affected me. I can't thank you enough. And I, but I also want to ask you about your, the, the books you've written, uh, sure. especially, m most especially the hundred years of, of Buffalo broadcasting, which I think, yeah. again, between the pictures and the stories, this has another labor of love and, and you're not going to get rich off of it, but at least this is another incredible historical document of the city that I think really needed to be told. Yeah. And, and you know, was that your inspiration? Was you saying to yourself, or if Weinstein wasn't on the internet, let's see what else is missing. <laughs> For that book in particular, a lot of the stories, uh, I was the president of the Buffalo broadcasters, the group that, you know, is charged with celebrating the history of Buffalo broadcasting. Um, and in the early days, that's sort of what it was. There were guys like Ed Little, 62 years in Buffalo broadcasting, just an, an amazing story, an amazing guy, never had a bad thing to say about anybody. You know, when you think about somebody who works in the, in a backstabbing, awful business <laughs> like radio and Ed never had a bad thing to say about anybody. People have bad kinds of bad things to say about Ed, but Ed never said anything bad about anybody. <laughs> and, and Irv and Van Miller, all these different people were part of all this. And um, for me, collecting those stories was important. And you, you go back then to, you know, the generation before, you know, when we were doing this in the late nineties, people from the twenties and thirties, nobody knew them. Nobody remembered them. They weren't important, but to me, they were just as important. And it, it, it became sort of a popularity contest. We're inducting Irv Weinstein rightfully into the hall of fame, but the guy who was the Irv Weinstein in 1925 sure. isn't being inducted into the hall of fame. And he's really just as important. And that's why we have a hall of fame so that we can remember the, and, and that's just the way of the world. So a lot of this book are people who belong, who deserve to be remembered. Uh, people who are an important part of, it's really my family tree. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> yes. um, you know, I learned, as we already talked about, I learned broadcasting by watching uh, people who learn from watching other broadcasters. Um, so, I mean, these are really, you know, these, these people we talk about in the twenties are really my great grandparents in broadcasting, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and to celebrate their story is to celebrate my story. So, um, you know, it, it's great to see people looking at this book. Uh, I'm talking about broadcasters and seeing themselves celebrated, but I know I've had people who said, I'm so glad that, you know, broadcasters, big name people who said, I'm so glad you mentioned this guy because he helped me out. Um, you know, in, in my early time. So did you research it by speaking to, I mean, cause as you said, there's, there's nothing available on the internet. Did, did you, how did you research this from the, you know, did you give Danny a call or did you give, you know, these people a call and say, I want to talk about this and this and, and, and well, I've been doing that for particularly in broadcasting more than anything else. You know, a lot of the other stuff I make up between you and me, I make up one. No, I don't make it up, but you know, I find it somewhere. The broadcasting stuff are things that I know. My first starstruck conversation with Danny Neverth was at the Bells on McKinley Parkway when I was eight years old. <laughs> and, and, but I mean, but, and it's built up since then. And I heard a conversation between Danny Neverth 
and um, Artie, don't you know, say Artie, Tommy, please. <laughs> and Tommy Shannon on the radio. Yes. Uh, in 1983, and they were talking about um, you know their theme songs, and that has stuck with me. These are things that I've been amassing my whole life. So a lot of that, a lot of the stuff for the book was already written. You know, in various places, I was the I wrote a lot of the uh, uh, for the Buffalo broadcasters, a lot of the early Hall of Fame induction um, pieces. Um, you know, the things that I'd written for the news, a lot of them end up being about broadcasting. But some of the very early stuff, the 1920s, there are things available on the internet, you know, old newspapers and just combing your way through. And many of the things that are on my website really are available elsewhere on the internet. It's just that I've, uh, I've taken 12 hours to boil them down into three paragraphs instead of getting, you know, 3,000 items returned and reading 3,000 newspaper articles to write four paragraphs. And when um, you say 12 hours, you mean 12 hours a day for 12 months. <laughs> well, it, but you get part of this. People ask me, like, oh, how do you do it? Tell me how you, you do this research. And it's, it's just, you know, how do you throw a fastball? You know, a lot of practice and you get used to it and, you know, for a for somebody who's never thrown a fastball to walk up to um, Roger Clemens and say, "How do I throw a fastball?" It's like, well, there, there's a lot between here and there, kid, uh, and that's really what it is. Do you have uh, Do you have other books that that are coming down the pike? I know you have you, you've done one about history at Parkside. The thing that I've learned, uh, if I've learned anything about writing books, is that books beget the next book. Uh, <laughs> I, I foolishly, my first book was a, a story of uh, the history of Parkside, and I foolishly called it the complete history of Parkside, which forced uh, every old crank. In in uh, North Buffalo to come and tell me why this wasn't the complete history and how I missed this and how, <laughs> I don't know how, you know, it's every kid in North Buffalo walked here, you know, for the two years that they were in grammar school. There's no end um, of people willing to tell you where you went wrong. <laughs> right. So there will be another Parkside book at some point. Uh, there will be a, a second half of this Buffalo Broadcasting book at some point. Yes. I've been working for years on a book about the Broadway market and the Broadway Fillmore neighborhood, but mostly about the Broadway market, which it just flabbergasts me that still nobody has really written a book. There, somebody put a picture of uh, a collection of pictures together, photography, but nobody has written the history of this great institution that we celebrate uh, mm -hmm. so frequently. And I have a lot of books written. If you just, somebody wants to give me a month to uh, lock me in a room somewhere to lay it out Finalize and, and it, write yes. the Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of those that are, that are sort of hanging out. So uh, I guess stay tuned on that front. So how did you get to be an English teacher at Bishop time in St. Jude? I ran for uh, Erie County clerk. I remember you know, politics is something that I, it's one of the things that I've always loved. And when people who are important come to you and say, Hey, you want to run for office? It was the only chance that I had to do it. Mm -hmm. So I did it. And it was, uh, it was far more anything I could have ever imagined. Just the, the, the uh, emotional toll, physical toll. Maybe one day I will uh, take the lessons that I learned in running for office and do it right and actually win <laughs> the next time. Um, but it was, a, it, was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting journey. So at the end of that, I had built up my Buffalo Stories business with doing a little bit of public relations and, uh, and freelance writing. And uh, all of that sort of got wiped out. Uh, you know, five, spend five years building up a business. And that sort of came to an end with, with, with running for office. So I needed to find a job and I found a job uh, working at a radio station, which only lasted uh, six or eight months. It didn't work out so well. So I was uh, again, jobless. Somehow I had gotten on the, the time and newsletter email chain and uh, eight of my uncles went to, to Bishop time. And I didn't go to time. And I, we, we had moved from South Buffalo by the Wait, time I was in high school. You were an OP by then. And uh, they said, we need a, we need a communications director. Uh, in this email. And I thought, well, you know, it's timing. 
somebody's got to have a nephew who knows somebody who's going to be the communications director, but they didn't. I sent in my, uh, my note and this being South Buffalo, I ended up knowing people who were here and I ended up working at empire sports network with one of the guys who uh, runs the place here, uh, Ron Bertovich. So it, it worked out and I was the communications director here for two and a half years. And then the pandemic struck very difficult, uh, lean times. It's difficult for any private school nowadays. Uh, the pandemic just made that uh, even worse. So I was laid off as the uh, communications director. An opening came up in the English department uh, at the beginning of this school year. Someone who's been an English teacher here for 20 plus years left to go get another job. And the boys here who I have come to know and love as the communications director, you know, we had uh, two students who had passed away in the last couple of years. Mm. And it's really uh, sort of brought us together as a community sure. and underscored and underlined all the important things that, uh, that make this place great. I didn't want them to have to go through, uh, basically the, the position was open. I, I can do this. Let's, let's be an English teacher. So that's, uh, that's where I am now. I love it. I am going back to school. That was my intention after being laid off. So I'm, I'm going to get a uh, master's degree in social work. You know, that is what I'll be doing with the rest of my life. But this is social work. Oh, <laughs> Working yes. with students is, oh, right? Yes. I'm not, not telling you anything you don't know. <laughs> Kids need English, but they need social work too. So, uh, you know, it's all, uh, again, more of those irons in the fire, you know, uh, shiny it's, things being dangled. I congratulate you for even uh, taking this on during these really difficult <laughs> times. Is there anything, this is called my off-road question, <laughs> is there any different road you might have taken that you look back and you say, you know, I took 17 different roads, but this <laughs> one over here is one I just never got to. What's the one road you you, you didn't take that you might have? Yeah, you know, I think um, right now the, the Catholic Church is in great upheaval at this point. Yes. And I think many of the, uh, much of the upheaval is in response to things that happened 50 years ago. But 30 years ago, when I was a kid, nobody ever said you should be a priest. That was never a thought, never a discussion. No, nobody ever said that. My, my mother told me that from the time I was five. <laughs> Nobody ever said that. You're going to be a priest. Oh, no, you're going to be a priest. Nobody ever said that to me. And to me, that a lot of the skills that I have, uh, a lot of the skills that I wish I was, you know, uh, was better at are all involved. You know, the, the priesthood involves all of them. You're right. And had somebody said to me, uh, and, and boy, you know, I went to I went to Catholic grammar school for a little while, but spent most of my time in public school. You know, had anybody ever said that or or intimated that that was even a possibility? Or thought, I had a lot of grumpy, angry priests who were in my life as a as a young kid. Luckily, that's come around, and I've had a lot of wonderful, uh, sure. <laughs> wonderful priests later in life, including the guy who was my longtime pastor, who is is like a, a grandfather to me now. But yeah, I wonder that that would be different. You know, that 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 it's not a it's not something that I lament or think about, but it, it's. It, it's a path that might have been there. It, it might have been. Yeah. How interesting. Other than that, I really don't, uh, I don't really, I don't know. That's great. I, that's, that's really a left turn that I did. Although I should have seen it. I know you're involved in St. Mark's. So I'm not going to say I'm very surprised, but a little bit. Yeah. It seems like it's so far removed from everything you've done. But when you put it that way, it really isn't. Yeah. The communication, the, everything that you're talking about sounds like a good fit. Yeah. But I'm happy with what, you know, we're, we're in a good spot now, so I can't complain. I congratulate you on living these last 80 years of your 43-year life. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing to me, and I thank you so much for doing this. Steve Seashan, thanks so much for joining me here on Off-Road. I really appreciate it. We'll have to do it again one of these days, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll do the second <laughs> half of the interview another time, and, and good luck with those time and boys. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I, I think I need it, <laughs> but they're good guys. Take care, Steve. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.
Yes, of course I know Brady is playing. I oh, that just sticks in my craw. Steve Seashon, huh? Listen, if you've got interest in all of the Buffalo history and the Buffalo past, you cannot go wrong by going to his blog, buffalostories.com, and checking it out. You won't believe the pictures and the stories and the the ideas that you just have completely forgotten about. And I know I'm an old guy who remembers these things because I was there, but many of my younger folks have an interest in Buffalo as well. So look it up. Use it. It's a resource. It's it's there for you. It's it, And as long as I'm plugging things, let me plug one more thing. Actually, let me plug two more things. If you get a chance to support anybody online, any of these virtual concerts, or the other night I watched a, a virtual presentation from Ujima Theater. And of course it's not as good as being there, but it was still very enjoyable. And I'm enjoying the Buffalo Philharmonic virtual concerts on Tuesday nights. They're all very affordable, and I'm sure that they are very appreciated by those involved. So, as I told you months ago, I'm going to try to support as many of these as I can, and I strongly suggest that you do that too if you can afford it. Anything that is presented online virtually, and this is the only way people can get their art to us, let's support them as much as we possibly can, okay? And listen, don't forget, theater's coming back. It's going to come back with all these vaccinations. You just take care of yourself. You keep wearing your mask, and the next thing you know... You'll be sitting in a full theater again with all of your friends up on stage who just are dying to entertain you. Until next time, this is Pete Palmisano for RLTP's Off-Road. Off-Road.